Have you ever applied for a job before? Ever applied for a job? Probably most of us have applied. You've filled out those applications. Some of them are very long, very lengthy. Others are very, very short. I'm looking into what it takes to be a volunteer chaplain for the police department. I have a couple of other pastor friends who do that. And the application for that is just this massive stack of papers. They give you four days to fill it out because there's so much and it all has to be handwritten. But there's all a purpose. You even have to go with, through, with a, through a lie detector test and they ask you some crazy questions while you're hooked up to the machine. Uh, all sorts of interesting things, but I want to I be involved in the community as, as all of us should be connected in our community. So you filled out applications. Maybe you've also had people send you a reference. Has anyone had a reference for a friend? Right, they're, they maybe worked for you or they're a friend of yours or you're, you were their teacher and they're trying to get a job and so they have you fill out this form and the form asks you a bunch of different ways uh, or aspects of this person's character, their work ethic, their experience, how long you've known them, all of these things. And, and really what the, these applications are driving at is this basic question. Will this person be a good worker or not? Right? That's kind of the question that they're asking. Is this person reliable? Are they faithful? Are they dependable? Will they be a good worker? Well, in our section for today, 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 14. The basic question that we could summarize all of this message from today is what takes or what are the qualifications of a good worker? It's not an exhaustive list, but we're going to see a bunch of different ways where God describes through the Apostle Paul to Timothy what a good worker looks like. And we've already seen some of these things in previous passages. Remember last week we talked about three different metaphors for a good worker. There's the hard-working soldier, the, the faithful soldier that's not distracted. There's the, the honest athlete that competes according to the rules. And then there's the hard-working farmer. We saw different reasons to endure. So we're going to see some more things this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we're starting in verse 14. Paul says to Timothy, keep reminding them of these things. So initially we're like, wait, what are these things? Well, we've just gone over some of the essential points of the gospel in these last few verses, um, 8 through 13. So Paul is saying to Timothy, keep reminding the people that you've been entrusted over. Keep reminding them these essential points of the gospel. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value, and it only ruins those who listen. Over and over again, we're going to see this issue of quarreling or babbling or contentious issues. Paul says these type of things don't have a place in the Christian church. It's okay to talk about things. It's okay to discuss things vigorously. But the things he's talking about are people who are bringing up these points that aren't really that essential and are controversial, and they they're, they're kind of have this quarreling attitude. You probably have experienced that before. Maybe you've even been guilty of it. I remember when I was a kid, or a teenager, I was bored one afternoon, so I was thinking, well, let me just get into an argument with my friend. 
So I said, hey, let me tell you something the Bible says, you know, kind of a controversial thing. It didn't seem controversial to me. It seemed clear to me. But then he said, no, that's not, that's impossible, blah, 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 blah. So then we're going back and forth. And I just did it for a form of entertainment. That's bad. Paul says, don't do that. And then there are people who do it maliciously. They always have their agenda. They've got these little things that they keep bringing up over and over and over again. There's a place for disagreement, and there's a place for, for respectfully saying, hey, I agree to disagree. I'm not sure that the Bible is so clear on this particular issue. Paul says, stay away from these quarreling about words, these, these debates that don't have a lot of value because of the results of it. What are the results in the end of verse 14? It ruins those who hear it. It ruins those who listen. In the Greek there, the word is katastrophe, which sounds like catastrophe, right? That's where we get the word. It ends in catastrophe. You know, because if people come to our church and they say, oh man, they're just arguing and there's no light in their discussion, they're going to get discouraged. They're going to think, oh, well, what is this all about? Jesus said, You'll know, people will know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. So Paul is reminding Timothy, hey, as you're leading out here, let's focus on productive discussion, not these pointless quarrels. We don't want catastrophe for those who hear. And then verse 15, do your best to present yourself to God as one who's approved. A workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Just like going in for an interview at that job that you hope to get, you want to go in presenting yourself honestly, but in the very best light, right? So Paul says to Timothy, present yourself to God as one who's approved. You're a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed. Have you ever been ashamed of things that you've done before? Or maybe, maybe things that you have, as a workman or workwoman, produced? Maybe you had a project for school. Or you had something at your job that you were supposed to do, some assignment, but you didn't do it with all your heart, and then as it's being presented or as it is being reviewed, you're realizing, oh, I, I wish I'd spent a little more time working on that. I had a paper I had to do last semester back at Andrews, and we had to present it before our classmates, and then we were going to talk about it and critique it. And knowing that this process was going to happen, I wanted to make sure I did a very, very good job, and I did my research so that I could present the paper and myself in a way that I wouldn't have to be ashamed of what I had done. All of us have been given a job by Jesus. All of us have been given talents and abilities by Jesus. And Paul is, is implying and he's telling Timothy, use what you've been given through the power of the Holy Spirit so that the work that you do for God, you don't have to be ashamed of. So that using the power of the Holy Spirit, you can say, wow, God did good things. He did good things. A workman who doesn't need to be ashamed. And part of that, part of being a good workman, is handling the word of truth properly. 
A lot of your Bibles probably say rightly dividing the word of truth. That word there in the Greek is only used one time in the New Testament. It just basically means cutting straight. If you look at the Greek Old Testament, you'll see the only two places it's used are in Proverbs. And one of them is Proverbs 3, verse 6. Verse 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will help make your paths straight. Basically, the idea is, when we've been given the Word, we want to use it rightly. We want to cut straight. We want to make sure that we're handling it properly. Because there are a lot of improper ways that the Bible can be used. And you've heard people take Scripture and, and twist it to say whatever they want it to say, right? We have to make sure when we're quoting the Bible, when we're telling people what the Bible says, that we're handling it accurately. That's a big responsibility. That's a very big responsibility. A lot of, a lot of ways that People use the Bible that just is not rightly handling the word of truth. And just because I say something doesn't mean it's truth either, right? You have a, a responsibility as a congregation to make sure that I'm handling this word properly. Being a pastor doesn't mean that you're right. It means that you have a lot of responsibility to study, to show yourself, to be approved. You know, Peter, go to Second Peter real quick. I'm jumping ahead in next, next quarter's Sabbath school lesson, but it, it'll, it'll be a good illustration here. Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16, said something very interesting. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16. And we'll start actually in verse 15. 2 Peter 3, verse 15. Bear in mind, he says, that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother, who? Paul wrote you with the wisdom that, that God gave him. Peter says, Paul was given wisdom by God. Verse 16, he writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort. So if you ever have had a hard time understanding what Paul wrote, you're in good company because the Apostle Peter, who walked and talked with Jesus, also had a hard time sometimes understanding Paul's reasoning. We're in good company. Amen? Amen. And he says that people sometimes distort and they twist the writings of Paul. But notice what it says there in the end of verse 16. It says, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. This is very interesting. Peter recognized and he classified Paul's writings as a part of scripture. But he said, be careful because sometimes it's hard to understand. No, that's a very interesting little point though. So back to 2 Timothy. We need to make sure we're rightly dividing the word of truth. If we want to be a workman that's approved, we need to handle the truth properly. They once said, one was said that a wise person knows how to justify just about anything. And while that may be the case, it's probably a bad thing, right? Because people can try and twist the scriptures to make it say whatever they want it to say. And those who are listening who aren't studying can be led astray by that. We've got to rightly divide the word of truth. 
Now verse 16, 2 Timothy 2 verse 16. Avoid godless chatter. We're coming back to this topic. Things that just don't have any business being talked about. Avoid it. Because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Your words have power. Your words have power. Either they can help raise people up or they can lead people down a path towards destruction. How we talk about people matters. How we talk about ourselves matters. How we talk about God's word matters. To be approved, to be this good workman, we need to consider carefully what we say and how we say it. How we talk in our homes matters. How you talk to your children matters. Even joking in the wrong way sometimes can have bad effects. One time I was getting a picture taken in high school with my friend and the coach, not my coach, cousin, not my cousin Bryant, who's the coach, not him, a different coach, he was taking the picture and he said, oh, I didn't know you have a lazy eye. And that was directed at my friend. And she's like, how did you know? And he was just totally joking. And now he's making a comment about something that she has felt self-conscious about. Uh, boy, we have to be so careful. Even in jesting, we must be so careful. And now she's thinking about something that she has felt self-conscious about. Avoid this type of chatter because it only leads to harm. Now we have an example, starting in verse 17, of people who engaged in this type of chatter and worse and the results, verse 17, their teaching will spread like gangrene, or in some versions, cancer. In, in the Greek, it's gangrena. Gangrene, I had to look it up. It's this disease where, because of blood loss, your tissue starts to die. People lose limbs, fingers, amputations happen. It can happen to your organs also. That's the effect of these bad words or these false teachings. They spread. God says through the Apostle Paul, have nothing to do with it because this is the result. Their teaching spreads like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus. A couple of people who engaged in these things. Now the first guy, Hymenaeus, he's interesting because he was mentioned five or six years previously in Paul's letter to Timothy, the very first letter. 1 Timothy chapter 1 Verse 20, Paul said, there are a couple of people I just had to hand over to Satan because of their blasphemy. That word hand over, we talked about it already. It's the same word Paul uses in Romans 1. For people who just will not surrender to God, God turns them over to their sins. Paul says, I had to do that with this guy. He just wouldn't listen. He wouldn't surrender. He was profaning God. I just had to turn him over to Satan. Hopefully he would learn his lesson. So it's interesting now, five or six years later, Paul is again mentioning probably the, the very same guy. We don't know how exactly what the circumstances were, but the effects of, of our words can have a long-lasting impact. Um, and this guy apparently was coming back. He had more bad things that he wanted to teach people. And you notice here, what they're teaching. Verse 18, who wandered away from the truth. They say the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. 
Once again, their words. Incorrect words, not handling the word of truth correctly, leading people away, saying, oh, God has already come back, or the resurrection has already happened. A lot of interesting heresies were taking place uh, during these early Christian times. And there's a lot of heresies and stuff today. But our, our purpose is not to focus on those things. Our purpose is to focus on the truth. We focus on the truth, we'll be all right. Notice it says that they wandered away. They strayed away from the truth. If you strayed and if you wandered, then that means that you first must have been where? In the truth. Exactly. I've gotten lost on some hikes. I've, I've strayed from the path on hikes before. One time I was leading a, a group. Uh, it was in the hike in the night, and it just made it even more adventuresome for these guys. It was a young men's retreat. Unfortunately, I had a GPS that showed me where the trail was. They didn't know. They thought I intentionally led them astray. But it, they loved the trip. But to, to wander, you have to first be on the right path. Nobody really wakes up in the morning and says, you know, I think I'm going to become a heretic. I think I'm going to start preaching stuff that's not biblical. I think I'm just going to abandon God altogether. It doesn't just happen overnight. You start out on the right path, and then you start to veer a little bit. That's why it's so important for us to be together as a family, as a church body, I like these discussions in Sabbath school classes because it allows us to express ideas. Maybe our ideas are right, maybe they're wrong, but we can engage in proper dialogue and we can help each other keep on the right path. These two gentlemen strayed away and pretty soon they're teaching stuff that's totally not true, perhaps believing it fully, but they were fully wrong and leading people down a path towards destruction. And you know, it can be a little discouraging when, when stuff's not going quite right. Oh man, it must have been discouraging in, in Timothy's day, in Paul's day for these things to be happening. But in verse 19, we get a word of encouragement because Paul reminds him, verse 19, nevertheless, I love that word, he says God's foundation, solid foundation, stands firm in spite of these false teachers, in spite of people who engage in this argumentation, in spite of people who have fallen away from the truth, there is a, a firm foundation. God's foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. It actually has two seals, two inscriptions on it, rather. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. You know, there are some good verses in the Bible that remind us, in spite, of troublesome, <coughs> excuse me, in spite of troublesome times, God's church will prevail. Jesus said in Matthew that the church would, would uh, the gates of hell would not prevail against it. In Ephesians, Paul tells us that, that the foundation, the cornerstone of the church is none other than Jesus Christ. And in spite of problems for Christianity, in spite of problems for the church, God says, nevertheless, it's, it has a good foundation and it will prevail. We may have issues in our church. I was telling someone just this week, I said, the problem with church is it has people in it. If there were no people, there'd be no problems, right? But we're all here because we have problems. 
the church isn't this like hall of fame for the saints that are perfect. It's a hospital for sinners. And the reason our church isn't perfect is because we're not perfect. But guess what? We have a perfect foundation, Jesus Christ. And notice what it says on that foundation. By the way, in Revelation 21, it says the great city, the new Jerusalem, has foundations, and on it there are also inscriptions. I'll let you read later on what those inscriptions are. But first of all, it says, the Lord knows those who are his. And I don't, in fact, I, let's, let's go there. Go to the book of Numbers, chapter 16. Real quick, put a Bible marker in 2 Timothy, because I want you to see this scriptural reference, this allusion. Most scholars believe Paul was remembering the story in Numbers chapter 16, and he's calling Timothy to think back on this powerful story. We're not going to go through the whole story here, but we'll just take a brief look at it. Numbers chapter 16. Who's this story about? Korah, that's right. Korah, that name should ring a bell in many of our minds. Verse 1, Korah, son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of etc., 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 became insolent. I'll let you read those names on your own at home later. He became insolent and rose up against Moses. With them were 250 Israelite men, well-known community leaders who had been appointed members of the council. They came as a group to oppose Moses and Aaron, and they said to them, You've gone too far. The whole community is holy. Every one of them, the Lord is with them. Why then do you set yourself above the Lord's assembly? They had a problem with the leadership that God had assigned. They start this little rebellion of 250 men. Verse 4, when Moses heard this, he fell face down. And then he said to Korah and all his followers, In the morning, the Lord will show who belongs to him and who is holy. And he will have that person come near him. Moses said, you know what? The Lord knows those who are his. And he's going to show it. Sometimes we take that responsibility on ourselves. We think we have to try and tell who's with God and who's not with God. That's not our responsibility, church. Amen? God knows who is his. And we all make mistakes. God knows the intents of our heart. God will sort it out. It's not up to us to try and sort it out. And as, as you recall in this story, God sorted it out in a very powerful and dramatic way. And those who refused to surrender to God's leadership and God's authority ultimately were destroyed. If you look at the end of the story, you see there, um, verse 25, Moses got up and went to Dathan and Abiram and the elders of Israel followed him. He warned the assembly, move back from the tents of these wicked men. Do not touch anything belonging to them or you'll all be swept away because of their sins. Ultimately, the ground opened up, as you know, and swallowed up the tents. But we see those two points there. God knows who his followers are. God's going to sort it out. And Moses said, hey, get away from these tents, get away from these people in this rebellion. And those who got away, their lives were spared. So keeping that in mind, we go back to 2 Timothy 
Paul is saying, hey, there may be people in the church who are leading us astray, leading people from what God's word says. But don't be discouraged because God knows. And he's the foundation. And he knows who are his. And by the way, if you're claiming to be his, then get away from sin. If there's known sin in your life, surrender it to God now. Just like the people were called to get away from the tents, get away from the rebellious ones, God is calling us in this day to surrender anything that would separate us from him. Why would we want to hold on to it? Why would we want to cling on to things that in the end will be worthless things that will lead us towards our destruction? So we see an action here. If you confess the name of the Lord, the end of verse 19 says, turn away from wickedness. Turn away. Then we get an illustration in verse 20. Verse 20, in a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes, and others are for ignoble, or um, lesser purposes. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Basically, he's saying, Timothy, okay, think about this. You've got a bunch of different pots in your house. Some of these pots are really nice ones. Maybe they're decorative ones. And they have really nice purposes. Maybe you put flowers in those pots, thinking about one option. But then you've got other pots in your house that are, that are gross. And probably one of those pots might be a chamber pot uh, for the bathroom, right? And that pot is kind of a shameful pot. Paul's basically saying all of us are pots. And maybe your life is dirty. But Paul says in this illustration, you can be cleansed, verse 21. (coughs) You can be cleansed and you can be made useful for God. (coughs) Excuse me. God has a purpose for all of us, doesn't he? God has given all of us talents, all of us abilities. My job as pastor is not so much to do a whole bunch of ministry. My job is to help involve all of us, every single person, in the ministry that God has appointed them. All of us are called to be ministers for him. It's a priesthood of all believers. Amen? All of us are workers called... By God. We're reading the letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, but this has application to each one of us. God wants us all to be workers for Him that don't have to be ashamed. Maybe we've come here like a dirty pot this morning. God can cleanse us, He can make us useful for Him. We were created for good works. So, how do we do that? Well, part of it is a response on our part. Verse 22 flee. From evil desires of youth. Counsel to Timothy, it's a good counsel to us. Sometimes, instead of fleeing away from temptation, we crawl away from it, hoping it'll catch up to us. I really don't want to. God says, run, flee, get away. Paul says, flee three times. Once he's talking about idolatry, once he's talking about covetousness, and once he's talking about sexual immorality. All of these sins are so deadly. Paul says, run away from them. Run away from them. 
If you want to be honorable, if you want to be useful, then run away from sin and run to the right. Paul says, flee evil desires of your youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. It's not enough just to turn away from sin. We need to turn to Jesus. We need to turn away from the bad and towards the good. If you want to give up food that may be unhealthy for you, you can't just give up food altogether. You have to replace it with something good, right? So you give up the food that's unhealthy for you, and you have to start eating food that is healthy for you. Maybe it's music. You realize, ah, this music is really not helping me in my life. It's not helping me towards heaven. So you give up the music. Well, you still like music. Find some good music to replace the bad. Otherwise, after a while, you're probably, if you're like most of us, you're going to break down and go back to the thing that used to drag you down. Turn away from the bad. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. We're not called to flee temptation alone. Paul says along with those. We're called to do it together. That's why we're here as a body. Verse 23, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because they know they produce quarrels. Once again, coming back to this topic, be careful of these arguments. The Lord's servant, verse 24, must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Anyone who's, who's caught up in sin is really a captive of Satan. Even those who, who, like these false teachers, are opposing the truth by presenting all these errors, Paul's saying they're really just captives of Satan, and we should pity them. And we should pray for them. So many people to pray for. So many people. You don't instantly become a captive of Satan. It begins by wandering, experimenting, dabbling in things until one day you find yourself in chains of sin. But the good news this morning is God has called all of us to be a worker. Maybe this morning you're feeling like there's no way God could use you. The reality is he's called you and he will empower you. We've all been given different talents. We've all been given different abilities. Not everybody's called to preach. Not everybody's called to teach. But all of us are called to come to Jesus and say, Lord, here I am. I may be a dirty vessel, a dirty pot, but I want you to cleanse me. I'm willing to let you use me. Lord, here are my words. Maybe my words have been argumentative, but I want to turn them over to you. Maybe I've been... I haven't been fleeing the temptation like I know I should be. But Lord, I want you to help me to run. Not just run away, but run too. Run to the good. Run to you. Run alongside others who are also needing a Savior. All of us are in the same boat. And you know, Paul, I think, is the greatest, one of the greatest examples because Paul... Before he became converted, he was working 
honestly, for Satan. He was persecuting God's people, totally on the wrong side. And if anybody could encourage Timothy to pursue the right, it's Paul, because his life had been transformed. And he could now say, hey, I want you to pursue the same things. So my invitation to you this morning is is pretty simple. Do you want to be a worker for God? Are you willing to just say, God, here I am, use me. And then as a part of that, also, I encourage you to pray this prayer. Lord, is there anything in my life, any sin that I've been holding on to that's been hindering me from being a better worker? And as he brings things to your mind, confess them, ask for his power, and he'll make all of us better and better workers for him. Is that your desire? I just want to see your hand. If that's your desire... Let's ask God for that power now. Here we are, Father. We're in need of you. You've called all of us to be a worker. There's a world that needs to know about you. You've given us different gifts and talents and abilities, and I pray that we can recognize in a greater way how to use them. We come to you not perfect. We come to you tarnished from our own mistakes. But I'm thankful, Lord, that you know how to polish us. You know how to cleanse us, and you know how to empower us. So it's with joy that that we say thank you, Father, for your cleansing power. Thank you for your Holy Spirit to fill us and to use us. And we look forward to the day when we can all unite around your throne in heaven and praise you and worship you together along with the people who you have used us to reach. Thank you. In Jesus' name, let all God's people, all his workers say, Amen. God bless you. Have a happy Sabbath and be used by God this week.